This is Tegelath Pelizer the Fourth. And Senecherub the Second. And this is edition number 20 of Musings of the Living. For this edition of Musings of the Living, we have a song called Walking Slowly. And then, we interview the citizens of Alaska. After that, we have a movie recommendation for a movie called Crazy. And then, I make my debut in my Chronicles of Reading the Bible, called Tard Reads Bible. Then we have the first chapter of a serial story that will be read on the podcast. Then, we have Kelsey Heinrichs reading Calvin and Hobbes. Then we have a recorded song called McGee Street, and then a book response to a book called Cannery Row. After that, we have our musical spotlight about Gordon Lightfoot. And finally, we have a simple outro song called Grill. This is a song called Walking Slowly. That was my song called Walking Slowly. For this edition of Musings of the Living, we interviewed two citizens of Alaska. Here's an interview with a lady from the household of C.K. Peters from Anchorage, Alaska. Do a lot of people stay in Alaska, or like, do a, are there a lot of people moving out to like the big cities and stuff? Um, I think once you live in Alaska, you don't really want to live anyplace else. How come? I don't know. Just gets in your blood, I guess. Your blood. Big. <laughs>
your blood thickens, and when you get out in the States, it's too hot. <laughs> What's your favorite part of uh, living in Alaska? used to be skiing. Now I don't really, I don't know, camping, I guess. Where have you gone camping? Kenai area. So is that like a campground? Oh, there's like thousands of acres of places to camp. Is it sort of like unofficial, you just go there and camp, or like... There's both. You can do either campgrounds or just camp someplace. How long have you been camping for? Since I was a teenager. So do you usually uh, go to a campground, or do you just set up a tent wherever? Um, usually it's a campground. Um, how is... Do you, like, ever go swimming up, like, in Alaska, like... I have, at the Alaska Club, I haven't been swimming in a lake in Alaska since I was a teenager, I don't think. Oh, yeah. Do a lot of people do that, just go swimming in the really cold water? Yeah, my kids do. They go water skiing and sea doing and, and all that stuff. I mean, sea doing, I don't know what those... Jet skis. Um... Is it generally peaceful up in Alaska? Like, have you ever been any, like, around to other cities? Like, how would it compare? Um, we have gang violence now. It's a, we, this is a pretty big city. This was in New York City, and it's, I mean, it, of course, there's no comparison, but I work in a jail. We have 800 inmates. So, what kind of, uh, are there any specific crimes that have been really rising in in the past few years? Gang, gang-related violence. What's been the, the worst cases that, that have occurred? Um, some kids had a, some sort of a, I don't know, gun right by his side and shot at a touch football, flag football game. I don't know what, I don't know exactly what happened, but yeah, they went to a football game and there was some sort of controversy on the field and he had a gun and started shooting. Yeah, I don't think anybody got killed, but it was it was definitely gang related. Morbid. So, do you feel scared now, walking, uh, being around town, like that there will be gangs? Well, I don't go around at night, and I don't drive on the places where the gangs are usually hanging out. Well, um, thanks for participating in our interview. You're welcome. Have a good day. Yeah, you yeah, too. too. Bye. Bye. This is an interview with Tyler of Eagle River, Alaska. What city do you live in? Eagle River. How's life there? I don't really have a lot of friends because I'm gay, but... You know, how that goes. What do you do for a living? Well, mostly I just sell drugs, but... You know... Sometimes I work... Um, at the junkyard. Like, breaking stuff. How's that? Keeps me busy. But it's not, it's not the best paying jobs in the world. Do you have any plans for the future? Or are you going to just stick with uh, selling drugs and breaking stuff? Um, 
I don't know. I was looking, I was looking to become like you know a trapper and live out in the woods, because that you know, so it'd be fun. Do a lot of people do that kind of stuff? Mm, a few do, but mostly there's just gangs and stuff up here. Have you ever any ever run into any situations with a gang? Yeah, all the time. My crew throws down. I had like six guys, right, and they had like seven, so we had we had like three knives and four bats, and you know, like the bats with the nails in them, and then you know they had they had a couple chains and stuff, so we just so we met in like this huge parking lot and we just threw it down. Who won? We won. Good for you. Yeah, the cops came. Is this a secure line? Um, I, we're not. No, okay, I gotta go. Oh, okay. Have a good day. This is a movie recommendation on a movie called Crazy. Crazy by Jean-Marc Vallée. I usually have trouble with subtitles, and when I found out I would need them to watch this film and understand it, I was a little apprehensive. There is one thing I like about subtitles. It helps me decipher whether a film is good or not. If I forget it's in subtitles by the end, I know it's drawn me in. By the end, I wouldn't have been able to tell a difference if it was in English. Crazy tells the story of the second youngest in a French-Canadian family of five brothers who is struggling with his sexuality and, although it's more subtle, his faith. Zachary as a kid is effeminate and has a motherly connection with his baby brother that his father finds abhorrent. As Zachary grows to a teenager, he attempts to shut these things out through sexuality, drugs, and rebellion against God, his family, and his own gift. The movie takes the family through the 60s to the 80s. There are many downs and a few ups. They are constantly at each other, and when something seems to be going right, one character turns it on another. It's a sad movie, but there is a lot of hope. It has a happy, although slightly melancholic ending, without being unrealistic and wrapped up with a bow like a soap opera. Not everything works out, but some things do, and others start on their way to being fixed. Crazy, all in all, is a great movie about family, God, and just how messed up most of our relationships are. For a new section in Musings of the Living, I'm going to read my weekly testament of reading the Bible. I call it Tard Reads Bible because with the whole Bible thing, and everything else for that matter, I'm pretty dumb. Tard Reads Bible Week 1. Paramount Feeling in My Bones. This week, something very special happened. I started to read the Bible. It all started when I came home one day and my parents had mysteriously bought me the Renovare Spiritual Formation Bible, a classy modern book that is very nice. Paul thought that this was great and encouraged me by printing out a one-year reading guide. There was one problem though. The Bible I'd gotten was way too big to carry around with me. So Paul gave me a small, new international version, leather-bound Bible to carry around in my picnic basket. 
Reading a Bible at school got different reactions from a lot of different people. One kid told me of how his grandpa would read the book of Revelation for scary bedtime stories when he was littler. He also told me of his favorite psalms. The vice principal of the school showed me the Psalm 51, his personal favorite. One of the teachers at school started talking about the Da Vinci Code and how wild and interesting it was. A few people said in a surprised way, Oh, you're Christian? And a few Middle Eastern guys said, That's a good book. It was very good reading the Bible at school. For the first day, I read the Bible during my spare in the derelict hallway, giving it a special feeling. The next day, I read it in the main hallway across from the office. Most people would see me sitting against the wall, and aside from asking about my picnic basket and why I was sitting there in the first place, would notice that I was reading the Bible. During the week, I read the book of James, a few Psalms, and started the Epistle to the Galatians, among other things. I love reading the Bible because it's an ancient book that tons of people swear by, spawning the millennia. And I say that it's great to go head on and learn it, because things that have stood the test of time so well must have something to say. Most of the things I read I didn't understand, thus Tard reads Bible, but I did get some of it. The things that stood out were in the end of the letter to the Church of Thessalonica in where the Apostle Paul advises the people there that if someone doesn't agree with the same things as them, don't regard them as an enemy, but warn them as a brother. To me, that meant if someone is doing something wrong and evil, be patient and stick with them as a brother, instead of making them an enemy. In my souped-up Renovair Bible, I read the introduction to the Psalms. It talked about how Psalms are usually sung in choirs and how they're pretty sweet things. To me, they look like very powerful testaments of faith, said in a very stylish way. I hope I stick through reading the Bible to the end, and my plan is to keep on reading it after I finish, studying it so that I can understand what it's saying. With this and brutal Bible going, I think it's all pretty freaking sweet. This is the first chapter of a serial story that will be read on Musings of the Living. As of yet, it is untitled. Chapter 1. A Cruel Morning. Natick looked down the tunnel. There was no light at the end. After all, death brought no light. Natick grabbed the two weapons he left clipped to his belt for reassurance. But he knew there was nothing in the mines. Nothing but death and fear. And Natick knew they both belonged to him. He shuffled over to the edge of the tunnel that sped downwards and looked along the cylindrical dwarven carved pit that led to the sixth level of the mines. He wasn't all that deep down. There were 42 levels of mines that were mazes of tunnels and spaces and pits, 
and in collaboration created a labyrinth of rock stone and what he and his dwarven brethren sought. Gold, gems, mithril, adamantine, and other precious metals that could have been of use to the dwarves. Natick knew something was missing. But what? He had his axe, his warhammer, his bucklers, his mithril chainmail, and his pick. His pick. Where was it? It was gone. His dark vision didn't provide color, but it did provide sight of a trail in the soil that looked like a pick had been pushed. Had been pushed down the shaft. Natick grabbed one of the two ropes that seemingly climbed endlessly upwards and downwards and pulled and pulled and pulled. He heard the creaking of the elevator making its way down to him so that it could be his host as he traveled to the horror that was one level lower. The efficient dwarven mechanics had made a well-working elevator. When he saw the small cubicle and entered it, though, he couldn't help but feel like he had entered a prison cell. He pulled the other rope down and slowly lowered himself down and down until he had arrived at the sixth floor. There was nothing. Nothing. He had to keep going down, downwards unto his doom. Perhaps the sixth floor was a foreshadowing of what would appear to him on the later levels underground in the infinite mine. Jail. Ah! Natick woke suddenly. Someone was screaming. It took him a second to realize who it was. It was him. He closed his mouth quickly, embarrassed and shamed, emotions that came quickly for dwarves, like himself, as they held their honor so high. It was then that he came to his senses and realized where he was. Or realized he had no idea where he was. Forestry surrounded him, and leaves were strewn across his body. He thrashed and squirmed until he was clean, clean of the dried and brattened leaves. And on top of the arriving of overwhelming confusion, came a throbbing headache. He rose solemnly. He would not let his scarred face be dampened with shaming tears. He blinked and looked about himself. He had no recollection of anything earlier than his just waking up so. Perplexed, he glanced around himself at the altered area where he had been sleeping for who knows how long. He felt his face slowly and could feel scars and cuts, but he knew not what they had come from. Ahead, a stream trickled by. The brook cut through the forest floor like a highway of reflective water. He groggily stumbled towards the creek and got a look at himself. The flowing was slow and his reflection wasn't all that askew. His right hair had been pulled back into a ponytail that traveled halfway down his back, and his beard had been braided and sat nobly on his chest, and belly with small ornaments and teeth knotted in. His face was battered and was the image of ruins of what had been an honorable handsomeness. His arms were thick and muscled, and his barrel chest and pot belly were guarded by mithril chainmail. His brown eyes appeared to be wise and morose at the same time, and as he stared into the mirror, he realized that there was a flare in them. Moxie that was sitting there waiting to be sparked into a ferocious rage. His stocky legs were sturdy leather leggings that were held up by a belt that had a large hand axe clipped on its left side and a warhammer clipped on the other. And in front, in a small pouch, were probably ten throwing axes. He rested his palms on his two melee weapons. He remembered a few things. He was a dwarf 
and he could kill quickly and easily with these weapons. He grinned sadly, though, as he turned from the water. He felt deep sorrow flowing with the anger in his veins, and on top of that, he knew that his memory had been lost somehow. Somehow he could not remember his past. The truth. Nanak looked on the small bed that, had he, that he had been sleeping on, a pile of leaves he had created, or that had been created for him. He guessed the latter, unless his memory had been lost after creating the mattress of dried-up vegetation. He looked back at the water and knelt down, cupping the refreshing drink in his hands and slurping it up before it slipped away through the, through the cracks in his hands like his memories and dreams. He did it again and again until he was satisfied, refreshed, and his dry throat was no longer parched but moist and rejuvenated, ready for a day's walk. He could go back, but something made him shiver at that idea, and he quickly crossed it off his list. He could wallow in his victimized and narcissistic self-pity, but that was not the dwarven way of doing things, so that was not one of the options. That left one choice. Onward. Onward was the place to go, then. Natick walked along the path that was barely discernible among the other facades of trails. Before him, he saw a rabbit spring from a small bush. Natick was no vegetarian, meat was welcome to him. He pulled a throwing axe from his belt sack and threw it at the rabbit. His shot missed, and the rabbit was immediately alerted to his, of his attack and sprang away. Damn it! Natick swore and quickly retrieved his small axe and replaced it in his pouch. Hunger was barraging his belly with stings of pain, but he tried to ignore it. He had a feeling, along with confusion, anger, and tragedy, that hunger would be a common feeling. He sighted a bush ahead that contained blueberries and decided that, considering his desperate hunger, that would be sufficient. He picked as many as he could find, and after eating the first few, he found that some of the berries were a bit fast for their season, and some a bit slow. But they were nourishing enough, and he was satisfied that he could continue his walk through the woods. He had no idea how long the trees would be appearing as another got out of the sight line. But he decided on three very important things. He wouldn't get anywhere unless he put one foot in front of the other for a good portion of every day until he got out of that accursed metropolis of trees. He wouldn't really be alive unless he kept the hope of getting somewhere and he would be utterly dishonoring himself and his family if he didn't stay alive for as long as he had the body and the will to do so. Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson Read by Kelsey Heinrichs. What are you doing out in the rain? I'm engaged in a contest of wills. It's me against nature. Which of us is going to give up first? Is nature going to give up and stop raining? Or am I going to give up and go inside? So far, it's undecided. But I'm determined to win! Kaboom! Oh, big noises. You don't scare me. Keep it coming. I'm not going in. Poor guy. Just couldn't stand suspense. The end.
This is a song by me called McGee Street. my song McGee Street. This is a book review on a book called Cannery Row. Cannery Row by John Steinbeck. This novel is set in a location I've never been. I've never been anywhere remotely like this location. The situations they run into are very different from my life. Only on a few occasions have the same sort of things happened to me. In this way, it can be nothing but the genius of John Steinbeck's writing that helps even me relate to this story. The story is very simple, because it is just a carriage for the complex characters to evolve and travel in. Max and his boys, a group of guys that would be considered crooks unless you got a closer look at them, have been helped more than once by a kind-hearted man named Doc. To show their gratitude, they decide to give him a good party. Their many enterprises and expeditions make up a lot of the story in this book. But Steinbach uses another writing technique on top of that, almost to get the reader feeling like they've lived in Cannery Row all their life. What he'll do is about every other chapter, he'll have a really short chapter that will just give a quick glimpse of the life of somebody who hardly relates to the story. It sounds obscure and a little disorienting, but it works perfectly for the idyllic and nostalgic feel that this book portrays. Using a blend of one simple story and many little vignettes, John Steinbeck portrays life perfectly. Every character in this novel is their own human being. He doesn't slight them because they are only mentioned on a few pages. He gives the Chinese man who walks through Cannery Row every evening as much thought as he gives Mac and Doc. It's moving because every character is always changing and evolving. 
I'm sure anyone who read this book would find a character for them. Canary Row convinced me that John Steinbeck is one of the greatest character creators, and he can weave incredible stories around his masterpieces. John Steinbeck never flinches away from life. He takes it fully into his novels, without becoming gratuitous in any way. Canary Row was an ingenious novel about real life. Some of the best proof of that statement is the way that not only the characters evolve, but our perceptions of them evolve. Mac is a hood, but he's also a nice guy that tries to help people out. When he's not swindling them. The prostitutes that play big roles in this novel are sophisticated and caring. Steinbeck makes no assumption of any human nature in this novel, and he doesn't let the reader either. Canary Row is a beautiful representation of real life. Steinbeck completely takes on the growing organism of Canary Row and works with it, shapes it, becomes it. He did it so well that in the end, it's not even his novel. It's the reader's. I would recommend this book to anyone from a teenager, to a middle-aged person, to an elderly person. For the musical spotlight for this edition, we're doing Gordon Lightfoot as requested by Beverly Patterson of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Here's a song by him. The dead leaves of autumn that cling so desperately must fly before the cold October wind. Their simple life is ended Must they be born to die again? Oh, may the light of freedom shine For all the world to see That was the song Peaceful Waters by Gordon Lightfoot, and here's a short biography on him. Gordon Lightfoot was born in Arilla, Ontario, Canada, and sung in a community choir when he was young. He said that's where he was taught to sing with emotion. He was such a good singer, he was featured on local radios and operatas. He grew directly into music, touring with bands and performing at folk festivals. Fame evaded him though for a while, until his songwriting ability was recognized, and he was covered by artists like Peter, Paul, and Mary. By this merit, his song, If You Could Read My Mind, was a popular song before he even released it on an album. 
His own singing ability was recognized in the 70s when folk music became popular, and he was recognized as one of the biggest folk musicians. But his fame declined as folk music did too in the late 70s. He continued to release albums though, and toured, still respected as quite the stage presence. During a tour stint in his hometown, he had an abdominal hemorrhage and went to a coma for a few weeks. When he came out of it, he asked his band to elaborate on some of his demo songs. The result was the 2004 release, Harmony. That was a bio of Gordon Lightfoot. It was, it was quite the bio, if I do say so myself. This is our discussion on Gordon Lightfoot. So what did you think of Gordon Lightfoot? Interesting. Interesting. Like, it was it, like he's very folky in some level, at some level, but then he also has like little pop. He has like pop songs and stuff like that. And uh, it's interesting because I was reading how he he went up. Um, he got famous when pop mu- when folk music did, uh, which was said in the bio. But then as po- folk music de- declined, he tried to follow the trends sometimes. So like you know, in the '80s there was like the pop. There was like pop music and stuff like the that. Hardcore synth pop, right? And stuff like that, right? And he try, actually tried to, he tried to become that. Really? In certain points, yeah. Cool. But um, it didn't work out for him, so he just went back to his original sound. And so I'm sure that's where you get songs like Afternoon Delight. So he, he's basically he he started off folk. He started off in a church choir, right? Exactly. Yeah. And he started off folk. He found that his calling, and then he wanted he always wanted to try something new. So he did all this thing, that thing. And yeah, he's still alive. is he still alive today? Yes, but um, I don't know if uh, he was trying to try something new as much as just trying to stay as famous as he had. Because he got oh, all so of a he he liked his fame a lot. He might have. I don't. I really don't. I don't know him. But like, I got the sense that he was he's really into his music. But but he kind of got carried away with his fame, and that's where he put out his bad music. And then he realized, hey, screw this. I'm gonna go back to my folk music. Nice. But, um, yeah, that, I can definitely see that. Yeah, like, because yeah. you can see sometimes that he transfers into pop music. But, yeah, exactly. But I really like his folk music, I thought, and he also has, like, more meaningful lyrics. Like, sometimes he gets into, like, Afternoon Delight, where he likes, uh, I won't go into that. But, um, but yeah, like, like Peaceful Waters, like, that is, is, he's, like, he's making comments and stuff like that, which is good. Well, yeah, all music artists are making comments in some way. But he's making, like, meaningful comments, comments that matter to him. Yeah, well, everybody is. Not everybody. Most, a lot of the music artists are. A lot, but like I, but. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, so Gordon Lightfoot, what do you think it would have been like for him? What it, what, 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 when he started out, what, what would it, what would his surroundings be different than right now? Well, I think I got the sense that he started out in a small town. Yeah, and he, getting, you can definitely see he. He's he's a hardcore small town person. Yeah, he seems like that. Like, and it's weird because it's like he's coming in and he's coming into this, and he's just really working slowly towards fame. And yeah. people are covering his songs, so other people are getting more famous than him with his songs. Like yeah. Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley and Bob Dylan did covers of his songs before he was famous. Yeah. Well, it's it's weird. All these weird, all these like really famous people are just like regular people that. That came from like these tiny backgrounds. Yeah, and it's I think it's especially especially notice that when they come from Canada, like like us, it's like, hey, they're not that far from us, you know, like like yeah. when it, when it when it's um, from the states, uh, which I haven't traveled to that often. I'm just kind of like it, it kind of seems like far off and like 
from a special place. Yeah. But when when I hear about musicians who come, like Neil Young, who comes from Winnipeg, I'm like, what? That's so weird. You can't even comprehend it. Yeah. It doesn't make sense at all, actually. But I find that like a lot of the music musicians like that you can understand, like coming from local, like local artists, they find they feel a lot more folky to me, like Gordon Lightfoot and Neil Young and that. Like I find, like I feel like the people that you can, I most, I most find are are easiest to say, hey, they're like real people. I like folk musicians or people like Johnny Cash and stuff like that. That's sort of the image. It's folk. It's like sort of, it's it's down to earth and stuff. Well, with like electronic music and stuff, that's like more. It feels like they're concealing themselves, and yeah, that's what I like about Gordon Lightfoot a lot. Actually, is that he feels very natural, like with his with just with his acoustic guitar and stuff like that. Hmm. Oh yeah, one of the things I noticed about Gordon Lightfoot is that um, his songs sound very mystical, and yeah, they're very mystical. What do you think? Uh, like mystical in the sense sort of they're kind of dreamy, just kinda. They're sort of like yeah, and it's also like sort of like dance music. Like I don't know about the dance music. Like not like really not really really dance music. Not like as dance music as techno dance music, but like dance music like in the sense of like like a high school dance, like people romantic dancing sort of. I still can't imagine it, but I guess not. Like, don't you think? Not like, nowadays. Definitely not nowadays. No, not nowadays. Well, like, like uh, back then I can see it actually. Yeah. Back then, like in the seventies and the eighties, people definitely a corny, a corny dance, corny high school dance with playing, like afternoon delight or something like that. Maybe not that, but <laughs> a corny, a corny, um, high school dance with Gordon Lightfoot songs. Well, I wouldn't say it's corny though. Like he a corny dance with Gordon Lightfoot songs. Gordon Lightfoot songs aren't corny. Okay, okay. So that's what you get. That's what Anyways, I get from it. But like back from what you first said, uh, his the mystical voice. Like I didn't pick up on that, but I I, I guess I kind of picked up. That's on one it. of my. That was one of my first impressions of him. That he's like, yeah. I just felt like he was not. I I got a I got a feeling like he. I don't know. His voice is kind of is, is dreamy, but. I guess that wasn't the word I would have put on it right off the bat. What word would he, would you have put on it? I don't know. I'm just trying to think of that. Like definitely, like his voice, his voice kind of like was a mix between Simon and Garfunkel and Van Morrison to me. I thought. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And that was, and I it was just an interesting mix. And sometimes I found it, I like I, so I liked it. It was good listening to it. Oh yeah, it was really good. Yeah. He's. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah. I really want to listen to more to him. Yeah, I think I'll, 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 well, I want to get a, full, a few more full albums of this. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have time to check out Gordon Lightfoot, which you certainly do. And if you like musicians like Simon Garfunkel or Van Morrison. Or you don't. Or then, if you don't, but it'd be, he's especially folk music pro prominent to people. If you like don't like music, if you don't like folk music, it doesn't matter what kind of music you like. It's good to try new things and... If you want to, you can check out Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah, it's a good you, thing to if do. If you like folk music, definitely check him out. But I, I would suggest it to any, everybody, anyways. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That was Musings of the Living, Edition 20. We hope you enjoyed it.
And if you have any requests, suggestions, or comments, email us at musingsoftheliving at gmail.com. No spaces, no dashes, no underscores, no nothing. And here's an outro song. Yeah. <laughs>